love you, man. Amen. feel the joy of Jesus this morning, hey? Man, He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. Doesn't He? Joshy Chapman's here. Oh my gosh. I love family. I love when the saints gather. Jesus. Jesus. Man, I just... When we came in here today, we, we prayed together, and it was awesome. And we engaged with God, and then we worshipped, and we engaged with God. And now we're going to listen to the Word of God and engage with God. We're not going to take cognitive notes and do a, a nod of the head in cognitive agreement. We're going to open our hearts in the very same way that worship is a launch pad for intimacy. So is teaching. It's not a different section of the meeting. Don't, don't disengage and switch into heady mode right now. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Does that make sense? Father, I just pray that we would just have open hearts right now to your goodness, Lord. I rebuke the lie of separation that demon lie of separation between you and us because you tore the veil between us, Lord God. We couldn't tear it, but you tore it, Father. You want this more than we do. You want to know us more than we want to know you. What a devil lie that we're reaching out for a distant, disengaged, antisocial Father. What a demon lie. I rebuke you, devil. I rebuke you, devil. To think that he would remove the sin nature from us, sweep into our mess and set us free, but we would still not feel comfortable to know the Father. What a demon lie. Man, I can't tolerate it. His blood was shed, man. It's the blood of Jesus, not silver or gold. Man, the blood of Jesus was shed. Oh. Revelation 1.5 says that he has cleansed, he has bathed you, he has purged you from your sin in his blood. It's not some 2,000 year old dried up blood stain on the ground, it's living and active, it never grows old, it doesn't have a use by date. It'll set you free, it'll heal your marriage, it'll heal your body, it'll heal your heart. Oh come on, open your hearts guys, the Father's in the room. The Father's in the room. He's not interested in playing games with you. He's not veiled in mystery. The mystery's been revealed. He's here. The Father's here. You will leave this room today wanting to know Him more. Every person in the room will leave with a hunger to know the Father. I've got faith for that today. What's the point? Know Him or die? What's the point otherwise? His son came. His son Jesus came that we might know the Father. I don't have anything else to do. I've got nothing else on my agenda. You know, when I know him, people get born again. When I know him, I get revelation. When I know God, I, I can walk free from sin. Not when I've got a great revelation from the Word, it's intimacy with him. 
That's what he paid for. You know what the spirit of wisdom and revelation is for? The knowledge of God. That word knowledge means intimate acquaintance. It's not head knowledge, guys. This isn't a university lecture. You're not, your success in Christianity is not how well you can regurgitate doctrine. It's how well you know the Father through the Son. You know, all you have to do in this life is know who He is and know who you are. And it's game over. Who is the Father? And who are you? That's it. You answer those two questions, game over. Game over. Anxiety, self-consciousness, body image issues, pornography addiction, game over. God lives in here now and sins on the outside. We've got it backwards sometimes. We're not dealing with an inner battle of the old man. It says you were crucified with him. This isn't philosophy, guys. It's not semantics. It's not one opinion of a whole bunch. Jesus didn't have multiple personality disorder. He's the truth. He's the truth. He didn't wake up and freak the disciples out one day because he acted like a different God. There's only one. And there's no third begotten son. There's no second begotten son. There's no tenth begotten son. He is the only begotten son of the Father. He's revealed the Father. We're not waiting for a greater revelation of the Father. Jesus Christ has revealed the exact imprint of the nature of God to us. That means we can know God. That's good news. Because to know Him is to be free from sin. To know Him is to know yourself. I need you to agree with me today. You have to agree with me. Not so I can feel puffed up, but so that we can all be free together. I could care less for myself. Man, this set me free. To see the Father, to behold His face in righteousness. Psalm 17, verse 15. As for me, I will behold His face in righteousness. That means, one, it's possible. I can be made so compatible with the Father that I can stare Him in the face. I can come boldly before Him. Why? Because it's something I mustered up? No, because it's something I received. It's called the free gift of righteousness. It's when He sets you free from yourself. That old, dirty, sinful nature vanishes. It's eradicated by the blood of Jesus. And now the purpose of your life is just figure out who you've become and act natural. Learn to act natural. When you figure out what he's made you, you don't have to strive to live holy. You'll just learn to be yourself. Does that make sense? That's why if you're you're in here today and you're living in sin, you're probably miserable. You're probably not having a great time. I thought sin was supposed to be fun. It's not. If If you're in here today and you're really selfish and you're motivated in life by just self-security, whether it's financial, whether it's in your relationships, if you made an idol of your spouse and it wasn't, I give myself to her and she gives herself to me, it's, it's actually 50-50 compromise, I found my other half. That's human wisdom, man. That'll crush you. It's called a God-shaped hole for a reason. It's not a spouse-shaped hole. That's, God has to fill that spot in your heart. Then you can actually finally love your wife. 
man, God didn't create Eve because Adam was only half a man. You ever think about that? I don't know how I got here so quickly. (laughs) He was made in the fullness of God, the exact image. Was God half a man? Was God half a God? Adam needed a victim of love. Because love has to pour itself out. It has to. Love that, that's dammed up and trapped inside, oh man, this, it can't exist. It, love has to pour itself out. Why did God create? Because God is love and love has to just create and pour out and pour out and multiply and multiply. That's why he did it. It's called love. That's why marriage exists, so you get a victim. He wasn't half a man, he was in the fullness of God and he had to represent the fullness of God's love in this thing called covenant marriage where it's 100%, 100%, life laid down and then that spouse begins to blossom and it's then 100% reciprocated. It's so powerful, it's supernatural in fact. Man, it looks different in the church, you know, marriage. It looks different in the gospel. Okay, I'm going to share something really quick because I want to finish at 12. Um, God's had this on my heart for a couple of weeks and it's not something I usually talk about. What I'm going to do is get this chair. I just want to demonstrate um, God's heart for intimacy. God's desire because there is a demonic lie against Christians that God doesn't want to know us. I want to crush it today. I just want to lay a baseline in our community, a baseline revelation, a foundation that we don't budge from, that the Father loves us very jealously. And the Father's good. And he wants intimacy with us more than, he, more than we want it with him. And you know, he doesn't just want to know you so that you can get busy making disciples. He's not looking at Josh Chapman saying, gee, if I just hang out with him long enough, then he'll be that Christian I really want him to be. What a lie. God's not productivity driven. Let that offend you. He's not. Intimacy with Josh Chapman is an end in itself for him. It's not so he can get something out of Josh. Intimacy is an end goal for God, not not the means to an end. Let it hit your heart, man. If you go to be with the Father, but you've got this lie in your head going, he, he, he just wants to form me in Christ so I can get busy, you won't be comfortable in intimacy. You'll be trying to produce for him. Actually, he's just happy being in the room with you. If you walk in your bedroom to spend time with God and you're uncomfortable, there's a lie at play. Simple. We have to face the lie. I know Christians that are more comfortable praying for the sick than they are to be alone with God. And it's not okay. Man, yesterday we had an awesome day. People got whacked by Jesus. People cried. Christine had these words of knowledge. We took Carter out for dinner to this amazing Sri Lankan restaurant called Spice Garden. The restaurant got bombed with love. People got paid for. People got prayed for to pray for the chef's broken hand. It was awesome. I mean, you know why I love doing it with Christine and Carter's? Because I know that I know that I know that every night Christine falls asleep with Jesus 
in our bedroom. The audio Bible blaring. The dramatised version too. So she'll just fall asleep. We'll get to about Revelation chapter 3 and she's out. And I'll be sitting in my armchair reading my Bible and just listening to the trumpets blow and the choruses of angels. And I listen to Revelation a lot. But I know that she knows the Father. And same with Carter, burns for the Father. So I know that there's no lack of health. What motivates evangelism is intimacy with the Father. And anything apart from that, you will, you will make an idol of outreach. If intimacy does not motivate your outreach, you will make an idol of outreach. You'll find your identity in the miracle instead of in the Father. And you're only as good as the last miracle you saw. And then it's pressure on to perform. Is this making sense? Okay. <laughs> I feel drunk today. So when I grew up, I, 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 had, I gave lip service to the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I was aware of that. I grew up in a Christian home. I knew that God was one God, but three persons. Put your hand up if that's familiar as Christians. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we serve one God. We're a monotheistic religion, but he is three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I, I was very deceived with my idea of the Trinity. I, I felt like Jesus was the friendly part of the Godhead, and the Father was the one you keep your distance from. The Holy Spirit's the most wacky, unrelatable one of the lot. But Jesus is the one that went to the cross, so I'm cool with him. I trust him. I pray to Jesus, but I don't really know the Father. And I've been on this ridiculously fun journey, learning that Jesus Christ alone reveals who the Father is. And it completely transforms your life. When you realize that Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. That means if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Sound familiar? If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. That also means if it doesn't look like Jesus in your life, don't call it the Father. Let that sink in. If it doesn't look like Jesus, don't call it the Father. How much of what happens in our lives do we, do we put in this category of possibly God? Possibly his mysterious will that I can't know that I lost my job or the cyclone hit or my loved one died or how much do we put things in our lives in this ambiguous category of possibly, maybe that was God or why didn't he or why did he when actually Jesus Christ came and said no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone who the Son reveals him to. That's you. He revealed the Father to you. That means anything in your life that doesn't look like Jesus, you mustn't call it the Father. He's not the angry side of the Godhead. Jesus didn't just show some of his personality traits. Put your hand up here if you like theology, you like to study, you've looked at. Awesome. When I studied theology, or started to study, I, I came across words like the omnipotence of God. Has anyone heard that word? Omnipotence. What does that mean? Someone shout it out. All-powerful. That's omnipresence, that God is everywhere. Omnipotence of God means he is all-powerful. 
Isn't that cool? That's true. He's all-powerful. The omnipresence of God means he is everywhere. He fills every space. He holds all things together. There's another one called the omniscience of God. You don't have to write these down. Oh, you can if you want, Ravoy. <laughs> You're just like scribbling away there. It means that he's all-knowing, right? Now, the thing that's been hitting my heart lately is that I studied these theological terms for years, and I draw conclusions about the Father and the Son, but somehow, somehow I missed the very confronting, simple revelation that all theology is ultimately found in the person of Jesus Christ. Just Jesus. It's called Christocentric theology. It means he is the center of everything. If you want to study creation, look at Jesus. Filter what you think is true through Jesus. If you want to study the end times, eschatology, Jesus says, I am the beginning and the end. So how do you study eschatology? Through Jesus. Through Jesus. This is how theology comes alive. This is how theology becomes a thing of intimacy. When you connect it to the person in which it's found. You know the thing that so troubled my heart? is that omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence, these are all great terms which reveal something about God, about his capacity, about what he can do, but what about who he is? What about his personality? What does he like? What doesn't he like? Why are the foundational terms of our theology things about him? What about his personality? Does he have one? I think Jesus would reveal that he does. Does that make sense? I've made a decision. I think it's an accurate decision. You can challenge me on it if you like, because it's a, it's a journey, theology. But I've decided that my baseline, my, my filter for every theology I'm going to build and understand Jesus and God by and the gospel and life is this underlying premise that God is a relational God. Now that's a precept you can build a doctrine on. I'm going to show you why. If God is just God the Father, right? How many of you know that there's two eternities? There's eternity past and eternity future. Because God has always existed. That means there's eternity past. He he was around before the world was created. So in eternity past, right? How long does eternity go for? It hurts my head every time. But it's a long time. Well, it's not a time. So the Father, right? Imagine. I, I, I had a cognitive idea of the Trinity. But when I think of before creation, all I think of is just the Father for some reason. That's all I could picture is, picture this chair and God the Father sitting in eternity past. There's nothing there. There's no world, there's no cosmos, there's no heavens, there's no earth. It's nothing. Picture, picture God. What was he doing? If he is just the Father, if he is one God and one person... And I know a lot of us believe the Trinity, but I don't think we just let our imaginations run wild a bit with this. But you watch, this actually sets up how you do theology. If the Father was all by himself, there's nothing but him, just him. What does that tell you about him? 
You're not here. This room's not here. It's literally just him. In the, off in the nothing, an omni-being, an independent personality on his own. It tells you that God is not social, that he's not relational, because God's sufficient in himself. How many of you know that? God's sufficient, right? If he's sufficient in himself and he's not Trinity, then he's sufficient to not be social, to not have relationship. He's antisocial. He's an antisocial God. He's distant. He's hard to connect with. Is that making sense? You have to, you might not think about this cognitively, but I promise it's a subconscious belief system a lot of Christians have. And they wonder why they've got this idea, oh, it's about relationship and not religion. But then they just can't have relationship with the Father. And they're so uncomfortable just to hang out with God. It's either because you think you're still a sinner and he hasn't solved the sin problem, which he has, it's called righteousness. We share his nature, it's either that end, you don't know the truth about you, or you don't know the truth about him. Remember, there's only two questions we have to answer. Are you with me? Hang in there for a sec, okay? Now, let's change, let's change the picture. One more question. Why does this God create? Why does this single God in this picture, all on his own, why does he create? There's a bunch of possibilities. I don't know why. Maybe entertainment? I don't know. But I don't think relationship would be his core motive if he's sufficient without relationship. Is this making sense? Okay, let's change the picture. I need two more chairs. So now, I want to get um, three volunteers as well. Joe, grab a seat. Beck and Tom, have a seat. Put your hand up if you believe that God is one God. It's important that you put your hand up. Okay, because if you don't, that's not Christianity. That's how black and white that is. But put your hand up if you believe that God is three persons and one God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. See, it's not, I can't feel tension. I think we agree on that. I think historically we've fought for that doctrine. The Bible, it's, it's so blatant. So this is good. So we've got something to work with here. Now, imagine this relationship. Look at this. God is one person, but he is three, sorry, he's one God, but he is three persons. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, eternity past. What does it look like? What is God doing for countless years in history, before history even begins? What is this God up to? having a chat. He's having relationship. Do you know God at his very foundation is a relationship? He doesn't do relationship. He is one. Which automatically tells you relationship for him is no small thing. It's not a means to an end. It is the end. You want to see revival in Darwin? This, we've got to get this. We've got to get this because intimacy is the only thing that will sustain revival. If you think God is most present in revival, you'll ignore him 
in the place of rest. If you think he's most present in rest, you won't pursue revival. If you think he's most present when you're being productive, you'll feel guilty when you're just chilling out. I'm poking lies that people in this room believe right now. I'm not just waffling. If you think God's only present in the movement and the motion, and you'll miss him in just the serene elements of life that he created for us to enjoy him in. He's so happy. He's so content with you. Why does this God create man? Relationship. He wants to reproduce what he has had within himself for all eternity. He wants to see it glorified on this planet. He's had a perfect... Is there walls? Is there walls? Is the son biting his fingers? Going, gee, I wonder how the father feels about me today in eternity past. Is he nervous? Is there nervousness here? Is there self-consciousness? Self-consciousness shouldn't be a word in our vocabulary. What's the first thing that happened to Adam when he ate the tree? Self-consciousness. Before that, he didn't even know he was a nude vegetarian in a garden. He had no idea. But he ate the tree? Inward. Self-conscious. Question, who pursued who in that garden? Did God automatically go, ah, and bail? Because he took on a sinful nature? Because Adam took on a sinful nature? Did God freak out? Or did Adam freak out? Who looked for who in that garden? God looked for Adam. Adam, where are you? And because it was the first game of hide and seek ever ever in eternity, and Adam was still getting the rules, he said, here I am, God, hiding. God says, why? Because I saw that I was naked and I was ashamed. Self-conscious, self-defense. It was the woman you gave me. Self-justification. It's all demonic. We can all be set free from it in Christ. That's baseline. That's baseline. Revival culture is not just miracles. It's character and health and intimacy. I want the full package or I don't know if I want it at all. Look, man, the motion, the love, there's no walls. There's no walls. There's no reluctance to receive love in this. Man, that God creates because it'd be sin for him not to. If God is love, he's a, he's a constantly self-giving God. And it's literally the Father self-giving, self-giving. They're glorifying each other. You see it all through the Gospels. I only do what my Father does. I, only see, I glorify my Father. Glorify your name. Jesus is obsessed with the Father. And then he goes, when the Holy Spirit comes... He'll remind you everything I told you. And then the Holy Spirit comes and just points to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit just loves Jesus. It's all the Holy Spirit thinks about. He'll lead you into all truth. Who's the truth? It's Jesus. It's all the Holy Spirit thinks about. It's a self-giving relationship. Do you want to be a part of a healthy community? Then understand this relationship. Do you want to have a healthy marriage? Understand this relationship. You know, the Trinity tells you everything you need to know about relationship. Building church community, doing life, engaging society, increasing the kingdom. Doesn't theology come to life when you start to just poke some things that 
God is relational. Okay, you guys can you guys can sit down. Thanks for doing that. So that God creates why relationship. And then he says, "Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, take dominion over it," because the enemy had already fallen at that point. We can't do any of it if we don't know who he is. We just can't. And if you don't know how good God is, you'll go through life and something will punch you in the face called life and you'll blame God. You'll get confused about his goodness. You might still sing songs about it, but in your heart you just switched off. Don't switch off, man. So God creates man. That God creates man. Because we have to, we, we got to share this. Let's make billions and billions of humans in our image. And they can glorify this relationship in their communities, in their marriages, in their families, in themselves. And we'll fill the earth with our glory. Adam eats the tree. Doesn't change God's mind for a minute. His heart didn't skip a beat. Just because he saw it coming, it doesn't mean he wanted it. It might be hard to Foreknowledge doesn't equal intention. God didn't intend Adam to eat that apple. He knew he would, but he didn't intend for it. And he sets out to win his people back through all history. You know, he's chased you through time and eternity to be your father. He's literally pursued you. And and some of us have this twisted idea like we're the ones pursuing God. I love what Dan Moller says. He says, we we didn't all sign a petition that God would send his son. And finally we reached 10,000 signatures. He's like, all right, Jesus, off you go. We weren't looking for him. We were twisted. We were deceived. We were living in sin. We were worshipping our idea of God. And he came. He came into our mess to reef reef us out of it and set us free from it. Are you with me? We've got 10 more minutes. Actually, I'm going to finish very soon because I want to just play a bit of music. And we're just, actually, God's going to meet with us. The Father's going to meet with us today. <laughs> I know He is. Why wouldn't He? I'm sorry. That, why wouldn't that God? I don't know if that's even faith to say that. If we see Him as He is, game over. He's really good. We read the Old Testament and we see Israel and we see, we see the old covenant that God established with them. And if we, if we don't read it with God's goodness in mind as revealed in Jesus, because Jesus is perfect theology. If you want to know how to read the Old Testament, look at Jesus. Jesus says in, in um, Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus, he, he opened the scriptures to his disciples And beginning in Moses and in all the prophets, he revealed to them the things concerning himself. The Bible's about Jesus, not just the New Testament. Cover to cover, this book is about a person named Jesus. If you want to know God, you look at Jesus. And then you can rightly understand the Old Testament, because all that stuff's true. And there was a different covenant at play, and on it goes. But Jesus reveals the ultimate will of the Father, and it makes things a lot more simple. You with me? So if Jesus reveals the Father, then now when I look at the Old Testament, I can be looking for that God. 
that God who loves me, that God that wants to redeem me, that God that wants to know me. And he comes to Israel and he says, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. That's what he said to them in Exodus 19. I will be your God, you will be my people. Did God get that desire? Think about it with me. Did God get that desire? He wanted to be their God. Just, the, just God to the Levite tribe, the priest, just God to Moses? No, their God. The people of Israel representing humanity. He actually revealed his new covenant heart all the way back in Exodus. And he came to establish a covenant with them. And the people were afraid of God. What happened in the garden? Who pursued who? Stay with me, man. This will change your life. God pursued Adam. Where are you, Adam? I'm hiding. Israel, I will be your God and you can be my people. No, no, Moses, Moses, we don't want to come up the mountain with He said, bring all Israel up the mountain to meet with me. Colossians 1 said, our minds were alienated and hostile towards God, doing evil deeds. The problem wasn't on his end. The apple didn't change God, it changed us. And the cross didn't change God, it changed us back to Adam. Is he the same yesterday, today and forever, man? We've got to get this. So he's pursuing man for thousands of years. I'll be your God, you'll be my people. No, Moses, no, lest we die if we approach him, you approach him. We'll do what he says, but he frightens us. So Moses goes and they establish mediation. Mediation. Someone between me and God. And that's how we relate to him. Always through someone else. You know, God hates that. He actually hates it. He didn't design that. We did. In our brokenness. He tore the veil. It was the veil of the flesh of his son. That's how much he hated it. He couldn't wait to rip that thing down, to clear that temple out. Oh, the, the, the satisfaction heaven must have felt when that silly veil tore from top to bottom. What a party. We get to judges and kings and we find that God comes to Israel again. Hey, you don't need a king like the other nations. I'll be your king. I love you. I'm a good father. This is the desire of my eternal heart. It's not going to be my desire one day when my son comes. It's my desire now. Jesus didn't create the will of God. He revealed it. It's always been his will. Now, we don't want a human king like the other nations. Whose idea was it? Israel. Are you with me? God hasn't changed. He wants you. He wants you more than you want him. So then Jesus comes and he reveals the Father when we weren't looking for the Father anymore. And in Hebrews 8, finally, God makes his last declaration because he's now established the new covenant by the death of his son and he defines the new covenant. That's what we live in today. And he says, a new covenant I'll make with Israel after that day. Hebrews 8. I will be their God. Thousands of years. He wanted this. All right. He knew the issue was sin. So he took us on a journey to, so that we would know the issue is sin. I think, I think most of us get that. This covenant journey was so we'd just figure out how broken we were. And John's water baptism, that wasn't doing the trick. He had to sweep into our hearts and set us free from the sin nature. That's what God had to do. 
so we could finally see him clearly. You with me? So now that regeneration's happened, Titus 3, 5, regeneration of the Holy Spirit, and your old man was crucified with Christ, there's no more sin inside you. Now we have to pursue understanding so we can live in the fullness of who we are and who God is, right? So Hebrews 8, he says, I will be their God and they will be my people. He said it so many times before that, but now he can actually have it because we can see him clearly now through his son, Jesus. And neighbor will not teach neighbor saying, know the Lord. Brother will not teach brother saying, know the Lord. What's that mediation? No one's going to know me through anyone else. I don't go to God through David Ridley. He's not responsible for my spiritual health. Neither is my wife. I am. God's in my bedroom with me. You can all go home and reject him. I'm not. I don't depend on you for this, man. God's real. God's real. You know he's real. (laughs) He's in the room with us right now. The Father's here. It's a thin veil of a lie that keeps us from him. Some of us need to repent this morning and change our minds. He's here. He loves us, man. Life's tried to just beat that out of us. Enough. Okay, I'm, I'm going to do... Uh, yeah, I'm going to put a little bit of music on just for five minutes, guys. I actually just want us to just meet with him right now. Even just... I encourage you, when, when he set you free, he, he, he washed you from an evil conscience. And, and Paul prays in Ephesians 1, he prays that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Who knows that verse? That word heart is the same word used for imagination. I pray that the eyes of your imagination would be enlightened, that you may know the riches of who he is and his glorious inheritance in the saints. That means your imagination is of so much value to God. How many of you know that this room didn't exist until someone saw it in their imagination so that they could put it on a blueprint so that people could build it? How many of you know that a man doesn't cheat on his wife until he's done it a thousand times in his imagination? What you imagine comes to life. It is no small thing in our very academic age. The imagination is profound. How many of you know that before a man of God, someone who just pursues the heart of God, before he fills a stadium with thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of souls, and just miracles bust out, and hundreds upon hundreds rush to just give themselves to Jesus, how many of you know he saw it a thousand times in his imagination before it came, to, came about? So right now, we're actually going to give the Holy Spirit. We're going to offer Him our imaginations right now. We're going to sit with Him. And if there's things that, as I've spoken right now, just touched your heart, that, that, that have been a veil between you and the Father, deal with it. Do business with God right now. He's on a mission, hey, for intimacy. It's the starting point of the Christian life. Have you got one? Is it like a Luke Howard or something? Cool. If you want to start putting it on, I'm actually going to start us off. I wasn't planning to. We're going to have a couple minutes over, but right now, I'm actually going to paint a picture for you guys. So even if you want to find a space in the room right now and get comfortable, please do. You can stay in your seats if you want. You can get on your knees. You can lie down. I want us to so engage. This is an activation that we can do at home. 
We can do anywhere. We can do in our church groups. We're going to do it now together. Because if as a church that wants revival, that wants disciples, that wants evangelism, if we can't know Him together, we're not going to get any of that other stuff. This is where it begins. This is where revival begins. It's counter counterintuitive. But this is it. Everything in the Christian life comes out of intimacy with Him. So get comfortable right now. And I want you to, to, I'm going to paint a picture for you, right? In your imagination. And you're just going to walk with me. And then what we're going to do is we're going to encounter Jesus. And, and when we do, I'm not going to say a word about what He's going to say to you or what He's going to be like. That's when Holy Spirit's going to begin to speak to you about Jesus. So everyone close their eyes, get comfortable. I want you to picture with me, you're walking down a beautiful garden path. There is a stunning dry season breeze just rustling through the leaves. It's quite a thin path and there's beautiful bushes on either side. It's all hedged in like a wall of uh, bushes on either side. And you're just walking down this path and you feel so excited because you know that this path leads to a meeting place with Jesus. And you're just walking down this path enjoying the breeze running your hand through the leaves and before you know it you, you, you emerge into this wide open garden space and it's this freshly mowed lawn with beautiful flowers all around it's this big circular garden and there's a little stream running around it And the water's just emanating life and rejuvenation. And you see this bench right in the middle of the garden, this little park bench under, under like a vine. And you know just to go and sit in that chair and wait for Jesus. So I want you to go and sit in that chair right now. And now as you're just looking around and enjoying this garden, you, you notice to your right there's another path coming from another direction and someone's walking towards you from that path. And your heart leaps because you know it's him. And he's walking faster than you walked because he's giddy with excitement. And he's rushing to meet with you and... And right now, the Holy Spirit's going to begin to just move in your hearts and imaginations. And Jesus is going to sit with you on that chair. He's going to stare you in the eyes. And He's going to speak to your heart. He's going to speak with you. He's going to heal you. He's going to teach you who the Father is. There's a spirit of wisdom and revelation in this room right now. So I'm going to leave you to meet with Him for a few minutes. Thank you, Holy Spirit.